Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, Episode 14, Chewing the Fat. Nick and Dustin closed down their 2018 deer season by talking muzzle loading and late season archery sets. The guys also dive into some venison dishes and their takeaways from the recent interviews. They touch on buzzardry 101, salvage tags, and Dustin breaks down his ice fishing setup. A very relaxed episode today. So enjoy. Dustin. Nick. It's been a while. It has. We've had uh, a busy November, and then that's translated also into a busy December. Is there a month that's not busy? I'm just Um, just curious. (laughs) February is pretty slow. March is pretty slow. Oh, yeah. But we're not even close to that yet. But anyway, December. uh, Dustin, since we last left off, you did some uh, work up north. You were were planning on getting back up there again for late season. Is that is that still on the table? Is that in progress right now? Uh, the up north plan got really derailed. So I have another piece of property that's much closer to home that it's not really ideal. It's 94 acres, I think, and there's 92 and a half acres of corn and an, and an acre and a half woodlot in the back corner. That butts up to um, some township property and an athletic complex, and then that's pigeoned in by a development with five-acre lots. So from a habitat standpoint, it's not been uh, fantastic. But that one acre, yeah, <laughs> I bet it's just full of deer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a spot to get up. Um, it is a place deer seem to wander through. I don't know if they use it for wayfinding or what, but... Um, it's a spot I hunt, I don't know, for the last 10 years, on and off. So I was checking with my dad. My dad owns it with a partner of his, and it's just kind of, it's, it's field. <laughs> it's not, it's not a hunting property. And that's been, it's all picked. There's nothing standing. So at, at the time of my inquiry, everything was standing. Um, so... I asked my dad, um, I was just saying, hey, thinking about going muzzleloader hunting out on the Caledonia property, and I know where it is. It's in Caledonia. <laughs> Look at a map. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. Um, you can really zoom in on it. Um, so I asked him about it, and he's like, oh, I'll check with my partner make sure it's all cool. And so he does, and he um, sends me a text back, and he's like, uh, yeah, you're good to go. And... Additionally, with the text, there's a picture of a really nice buck that um, some other uh, young hunter took that had requested permission from my dad's part- partner back there that I wouldn't have guessed was back there. Um, it's a really nice buck. I mean, it, it would rival anything. Actually, I would say it would best anything on my wall. So that re-motivated me to get back out there. Maybe there's a, a yeah. companion to go with that. Yeah, but. something else. Um so at the time, all the corn was up. I was getting this information, I think, on a Thursday. My plan was to go hunt on Saturday. And no, my plan was to hunt on Sunday. So 
I'm getting all geared up and I'm re-looking at the map even though it's not complicated, thinking about my plan. Um, and then I find out that a third of the cord is down, so then I'm redoing my plan, um, but everything's, everything's going to be cool. I'm going to sit up probably on that edge where it had been taken down and there's still standing corn. And then I do a drive-by on Saturday because we go shopping. My uh, wife and I go shopping in town and all the corn is down. <laughs> Nothing, just I can see the combines <laughs> in the adjoining field. They had just gone through that day and taken it all down. And so that was a big gut punch. But did I, you did you go through the corn or well through the stubble? Is it like a real clean operation where they're sucking everything? No, they were. I think they were trying to go as fast as they could because it's late in the season and, and there's a fair amount of corn up. It wasn't a perfect job, so there's still some. I mean, from what I could tell, it looked like there would be something that could actually draw in a deer potentially. Because even that cut stuff, it, it's almost. I I find that. Even when it's first cut, there's plenty left on the ground there that deer find that easier than yeah. going for the stuff on the cob still. Yeah, so the food is there. It's just they're now naked because there's yeah. one acre freaking lot, and now they're exposed to Timmy playing soccer and two fairly traveled roads, and then it's just <laughs> the corn is cover at that point. So, gotcha. Um, so yeah, I went in there and that took my interest. I put the up north on hold, sat there a couple of times. Um, I spooked two deer out of the one acre lot in my afternoon hunt. I hunted there that morning, went back in, spooked two deer out. I am pretty sure those deer were, were watching me. <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, the entire time. They watched me come in because they can see everything. They're like, oh, I guess we're not going to be able to sit in our little spot. And then they saw me walk out, and they're like, oh, the dum-dum's gone. And then they were like, oh, the dum-dum's coming back. And then they, they left. So, sad story. I got distracted uh, on hopes and dreams of who knows what. I probably should have. I have no deer now, so now I'm super desperate. Should have done the up north thing. Now, really, like, kicking myself. <laughs> so, yeah. I think I. It's I, my I, up north story. It didn't happen, and it should have. Gotcha. Well, you got to think back to October. You got a nice eight in October. I did. I, I would say don't quit. Yeah. There's still another one that could go next one. Yeah, no. I'm not quitting. So. My plan is kind of revolving around, we're doing some habitat work the, I guess it'll be the last weekend of December, so right around airtime for this. Um, We're going to do some habitat work, and I'm going to work in a deer drive. So, maybe maybe that'll be my last hurrah. If you need a guy in orange, just let me know. Yeah. I can walk with him. I got... uh, got nephews and my brother and my dad and i think i'm just gonna make them all turn into beagles and (laughs) bush deer (laughs) uncle needs a deer real bad real bad walk through that yeah gotcha i did uh two muzzleloader sits i was opening day of muzzleloader and then the uh the following saturday um as well just two sits in the muzzleloader both saw a deer 
one was a real cold morning. The other one was semi-average evening as far as temps go. Um, evening, I, it was really late that the deer came. And then it was actually about mid-morning um, that I didn't see deer on... Yeah, that would have been the opener morning that I saw saw deer. So it was overall great to get the muzzleloader out there. I'm, I'm actually borrowing somebody else's muzzleloader. Yeah, that's what that was. Yeah, real old school. Lock. Yeah, well, it's not necessarily a flip lock, just hammer action. Oh yeah, exposed on the side. But yeah, it's a it's a real old gun. Um, that barrel is super heavy. There is no kick and no lift on that thing because <laughs> I'm holding cast iron out yeah. in front of me. It feels like um, real solid weapon. It's like, yeah, this is awesome. Just was not given an opportunity. Well, in the morning I wasn't given an opportunity, and then the evening I did, but I chose not to. I've, I've got my freezers overflowing, and yeah. we can talk about that here in just a moment. Um. But no, I, I, on that morning set, um, with, uh, with three kiddos at home, the wife doesn't like to be left home the whole weekend with kiddos. So I, I had to make a, make a move and I, I texted her from the stand and said that this was my, my last sit of the season. The final sit. The final sit was that, that morning, which was good. I, I saw a deer and it was, you know, it was favorable and I got to watch them interact and it was a good closing day at the same time it's not to say that I'm not going to rule out a a Brett Favre move (laughs) (laughs) I'm still in my prime I can come back (laughs) Um, just one more sit just one more sit come on just one more just like just go to the Jets and then then the Vikings (laughs) but no I'll be down um down to the muzzle loader, um, the uh, the compound is in the shop. Oh, uh, I, I when I took it out in this late archery this this week where there wasn't or that past week where there wasn't any muzzle that week between shotgun craziness and then muzzle loader, I took the bow out and I noticed some real big fraying going on by my cam and. I was kind of glad that I didn't have a deer walk by. Mm. I don't think it would have snapped on me, but it was definitely fraying enough that it's like, ooh, this this string is done. Yeah, we this is old. It's it's two years. Oh yeah, time to go. She's uh, she's in, needs in for repair. So that's actually in the shop. I took that in yesterday. Uh, so I should hear word probably end of the week on when we can get it back. They got to order my gotcha. order my string. Yeah. Um, I haven't tried. It's a company that the the shop uses. I'm interested to try them out. Oh, aftermarket, aftermarket, and hot, hot strings. Uh, I hopped up. I don't. Well, maybe, maybe they're hopped up. I don't know. I went. <laughs> shows what my I current string had black and blue, and I didn't. I didn't like it. It's just got red in it. Reminiscent of of a bruise. Oh yeah. And I switched out the blue. In this one to be a, a dark green, something yeah. that that's not hopped up. If no, it's red, then it's hopped. See, up. We, we ain't hopping <laughs> anything up. I'm trying to hide. I'm not trying to be be exposed. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll get word how that string's working, and then we'll have we'll begin the tuning process again. 
they've got all my measurements, and but at the same time, when you get that uh, that bow back, you just gotta make sure everything still flies the way that it should. So, I'm done calling it on uh, the venison pursuit for 2018. It could happen again. But I really hit it hard on the culinary side of venison. That you did. Um, I've had, I had a, a shank recipe I did. I did it with asobuco style. Asobuco. Look Asso at you. Asobuco. Throwing the terms out. After talking with uh, Scott Reed yeah. on that interview, the man is just full of knowledge. And yeah, I gleaned more of that after the uh, the interview as well. And so this is the first time I've done a shank chopped up into sections like that. And it's all that it's cracked up to be, especially if this is the way you want to do it. So is that just you take the same bone saw that we use in the... When we're breaking the the deer apart and chop that shank into pieces, or how you bust that down? Yeah, that same same bone saw. Um, Scott specifically was saying that you use your blade, your knife, on the meat. Yeah. Only. Yeah. And then you only use the saw on bone. Yeah. That's going to give you a better cut. It's going to be more true. You're going to get less tearage and. Kind of, and it will keep the bone or the the bone shavings. You're not going to have as much of a mess when you're all said and done. It's easier cleanup yeah. because then you've just cut the bone and you're not getting the bone fragments into the tears now. Yeah, makes sense. But anyway, I did mine like two two and a half inches wide. Every two and two and a half inches, I I cut it. I tried to cheat it. I thought I was smarter than the average man, and I. Pulled it out of the freezer and tried to cut it frozen. Ah. Not prescribed or not recommended. That was way difficult <laughs> because I couldn't cut anything with a knife and it reacted the same frozen with the saw. It's like a brick. Yeah. So when you thaw it out, <laughs> then you can use your knife on the meat and then you can use your saw on the bone. They take a long time to thaw out too. They do. I've noticed. Something about that thick bone. That bone just keeps it, yeah. Keeps it ice cold. Yeah. Stick it in some lukewarm water. That speeds it up in your in your sink. I like that method. I feel like that's cheating. I don't know why. I feel bad about it. Why do I feel bad? I don't know why you feel bad about feel bad. it. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to ruin the integrity of the meat. by. If you're using, like, scalding water and trying to speed yeah. it up, that's I think. What, that's, that, that, that's what I do. Oh, okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest doing that. At the same time, the shank's going to be put under yeah. um, a low, slow cook anyway, yeah. so you're almost... Could be shoe leather, so it doesn't... Yeah. You're going to fix it. But making those cuts, I then, through a little bit of research, found instead of the traditional normal asobuco that I've seen both on... Meat Eater and all these these shows that are out there coming out now where it's your mirepoix, which is carrots, celery, onion. You throw that in, you cook it down, there's stock, then there's a, a load of tomatoes that go in. I found... Tomatoes? That, like a canned tomato goes gotcha. in, and, and it creates this stew. 
Okay. So it's like the you're getting the broth, you're getting the vegetables, and you're getting the uh, hunk of meat. Yep. Um, I found this uh, this black pepper recipe where I do take uh, a little bit of tomato paste with garlic mm. and a load of black pepper. You're supposed to use like a cracked black pepper and then regular black pepper on top of it. And basically you smear that all over these pieces of meat and then set them in your uh, Dutch oven or your crock pot or whatever you're using and then douse on the wine. And you basically fill that up two-thirds of the way and let it go. Gotcha. Just a different recipe, different take on It's originally from Tuscany, and this was pre- Columbus. Oh, I'm getting this off the recipe. It Old even school. had, yeah, it even had like fun facts of history written down with a feathered pen, kind of crap. Yeah. So this stuff was pre-Columbus because he brought back tomatoes, and there wasn't tomatoes in Italy uh, at the time of this recipe being made. Mind blown. That's insane. So back to my recipe. How did I? How I'm, I'm okay. Back, back to it. <laughs> yeah, like Olive Garden. You know, and all every every image of the Italian restaurant and the the red sauce and the tomatoes. That's like new school Italy. That's it's after Columbus. Yeah, that's like McDonald's Italy. It's mid school. It's not old school, and it's not new school. It's mid school. <laughs> so anyway, just like any other. Shank recipe, you just let it go, and I think mine was two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, people talk about polenta being what you serve this on, and we live here in Michigan, so potatoes is the way <laughs> I went. Mashed potatoes, and then stuck that on top, a little bit of roasted uh, um, Brussels sprouts. It was a home run. It looked nice. If you haven't seen it, go to Instagram, check it out. It's on Instagram. It's beautiful. I tell you, it it was super easy. As long as I just kind of kept my steps in front of me, there wasn't like this hard thing that I had to follow, and we're slow cooking, so it's like, yeah. oh, shoot, I didn't pull it out right at time. It's like, well, your time has been three hours. So yeah. It's another ten minutes. Yeah. But that came across. I My father-in-law even came over. That night, he was over to see the kids and to hang out, and happened to be there right around at dinner time. And so I slid a plate in front of him, and he's a man that's—I mean, he's as Dutch wonder bread as it comes. <laughs> he doesn't handle anything yeah. outside of what he knows, you know, steak and potatoes, yeah. and that's all he is. And so I—I I describe what I'm serving him up and. You just had that look of, I don't know. They don't have this on the Russ's menu. No, exactly. <laughs> you could serve this with onion rings. However, <laughs> it wasn't. But anyway, it even lit him up. He enjoyed it. Wow. He told me how good it was. So it was like, yes. That. that was a definite win. Nice. Now, you were doing shanks earlier as well. Yes, the virgin shank. The virgin shank experience. I finally got to it. Well, take me from the beginning. Yeah, so these are 2017 shanks. So it's the last of the uh, deer that I got last year. 
and um, I was just going to do basic. So plan was do a nice little rub on the outside and then uh, crock pot in some uh, beef stock. So, so super simple. Um, so I put them in the fr- fridge and back to the whole man they take a long time to thaw out thing. I had to shift the whole recipe by a day. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled them out for so the the game plan. I leave I leave for work in the morning at like six fifteen or whatever it is. So my plan was I was going to get up before work and do uh, sear in the pan, and then throw them in the slow cooker. And then when I get home. Around 5 o'clock, good to go. So, yeah. Frozen is all get out. So I had to adjust that. So, next day. (laughs) Um, So actually the night before, uh, to prep it up, I I grabbed my um, spices. And I I just mad scientist did a little bit. I know garlic powder was involved. and who knows what else. I took a picture of it so I could remember if it was super awesome. Then I could recreate it. <laughs> but I just went with... That's the trouble with mad scientisting. You yeah, know? I at least took a picture of it. Uh, so I had a general idea. The amounts of each thing. Yeah, that was a guess. Um, so I did that the night before. Covered it. Threw it in the fridge. Um, and then woke up. And I um, got the pans going. And so I put um, just some garlic, minced onion, and minced celery. I think that's all it was in the pan. And I was going to multitask. And I had too many shanks for one pan. So I had two pans going, jumped in the shower. Just going to do a quick 10-minute shower, come back out. <laughs> and one of the pans, I just had this blackened gooey disgusting terrible mess so don't let me get this right back up yeah you left a pan on the stove yeah and then you went and took a shower yeah i was gambling a little bit (laughs) (laughs) this is is how fires start in homes yeah it was a quick shower 10 minutes is probably an exaggeration i don't have any hair it's a quick operation (laughs) it's a speedy process Not speedy enough to save your shank. Yeah. No, the shanks were still in the fridge. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this was just a couple of pans, not not a ton of heat, but enough. So one of the pans, the lighter one. It's way too light of a pan. It's a piece of garbage. So anyways, that one went in the trash. And then the, uh, the other larger, thicker pan was good to go. So we cooked that down, and then we, uh, seared the shanks. And then put that in the crock pot with some garlic and some celery and some onion. Just kind of diced up. And then I put in two cups of uh, beef stock. Because I didn't want to... It was going to be in there a long time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to turn to stew. Right. So I didn't put in a ton. Um, so I went with that. And then I had my wife put in some carrots and some... Um, petaled out onions. I think that's all I, all we had there in the, like the final hour. Um, so basic 
uh, but long, slow cook on it. And I was getting pictures throughout the day of... <laughs> of your progress. Of the progress of it falling off the bone, like literally, like shrinking up and then falling off the bone. Just food porn images yeah, that are pretty coming much. across. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted... <clears throat> I I got out of work right on time. <laughs> there was no way. Was There's like, no delay. Shut down, see you later. Yeah. Bye, gotta go. Uh, yeah. So, um, that was it in a nutshell. And it, it was incredibly tender. Um, I can increase on the flavor side. I, I learned that. So, it was probably, I don't know, part of it was probably expectation. Part of it was probably just, you know, it being a beef stack. But that beef stack really did take over. Um, I mean, if you closed your eyes, you'd just say this is beef roast. Like, this is mom's beef roast, which isn't a bad thing. Right. Um, I mean, if you wanted to, to give somebody venison that was a good, like, I don't, I don't really like gamey flavor. I mean, that's a crappy term, but didn't have any of that flavor that you may equate to what the, is venison. Yeah, the venison-esque yeah, was it, taken it was on. gone. Where, it was completely gone. Where was this deer taken? This was, yeah, it was Reed City Deer. Reed City Deer? Yeah, so it's eating twigs and... It's not corn fed. Gotcha. I was gonna say it wasn't it wasn't like a southern Michigan beer. No, but I mean it was it was small. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean it it was definitely good. I'm just gonna amp up. Uh, I think some of the mixins, maybe go a little heavier on this on what I do in the sear the next time, and probably not. I think. I mean, although the tenderness was fine, I think it just be cooking that long, just really really took on that beef stock like no other yeah more of a sponge aspect is instead of yeah it, i mean it absorbed that that, that flavor. flavor yeah it pulled it really pulled in that beef flavor which if you're going for that great great which i didn't really remember clearly i didn't have i was aiming in the direction of <laughs> i want i want shank i half read a couple of recipes and then three days later four days later kind of was like <laughs> i think i was reading something like this well, sounds good. Sounds, I'd say, successful. Yeah, I mean, it was the first shank. I, fi- I mean, that's it was very easy. Yeah. And after going through the hell of grinding what is shank meat, <laughs> that's never, ever happening again. It's just stupid. I Yeah, I've never ground it. Well, there's been one deer that I've ground shank meat. And it's asinine. Every other one of them, I just saved the shame. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just tacos waiting to happen. It's Ma's beef roasts yeah. waiting to happen. Yeah, I'll take that any day over cleaning out the stupid tiny grind in the wheel or the, the cutting blade. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> half of it ends up in the trash because you're just trying to cut all the tendons out. Well, that's that's awesome, Dustin. I'm glad that you've now. Yeah, I've seen the light. You've you've got your shanks I've shanks ready to go. I've seen it's the light. Yeah, it was fun walking you through that because I you forwarded a few of those pictures yeah. over. That was a good deal. I need a little help. I need a little coaching. Well, that's that's what we all need. That's <laughs> how we get better. Um, I also revisited uh, smoking uh, venison. We had a family Christmas here at our house, and I was serving up and. 
my wife was asking, so are, are we getting are we getting a, a prime rib or, or are we going to get, should we go get some turkey or what do you want to do for that? And I'm like, I got a load of venison right now <laughs> and it would be awesome to do some smoked venison. My, um, my charcoal grill slash smoker has just been hanging out in my garage and I just look at it every time I park in there and yeah. so I was like, well, you got to get this thing out. And it happened to be like a 35, 37 degree day. It was super foggy that Sunday and it was just ripe for smoking. Last time I smoked, actually it was several episodes, we talked to um, Joel from Reload Rub and Seasonings. Uh, I had done some previously with, with his stuff and loved it, but I, I wasn't happy with as much smoke that I got on that venison. You, it was, you didn't get as much as you wanted? Yeah. there You could smell it, but you couldn't really taste the smoke as much as you would have liked. You yeah. Get, it was just real light. And that was due to me really cutting back. I didn't want to overdo anything on yeah. this. And after after playing it safe, I was like, all right, I'm ready to... I really want to add some smoke flavor to this. So... um, and The other thing, too, is it got done quicker than what I wanted it to. I had too much coal, too much heat uh, going on in that smoker. I was running at like 300, 320. Where, oh, yeah. So it was done... It was supposed to be like three hours, but it ended up being like an hour and a half till I got my 120 on the inside, 120, 125. I pulled that off, and it was ready to go. It was good, but it didn't have a chance to absorb that smoke. Fast forward to now, I lowered the amount of charcoal, and I upped the amount of chips that I was putting on my my smoker. My temp was right around 220. I kept it real low, and I never, I never went past that 220. I had my, th- I was checking with my thermometer even gotcha. in the ambient temperature of the inside of that, yeah, that grill, and it didn't get above 220. And it did take about three hours to get the seven pounds that I had put in. I had four, I had two top rounds and two bottom rounds, and it came out to be right around seven pounds. Nice. And keeping it slow, I was able to add a lot more smoke. So then during that three hours, probably about two and a half, I was adding either, I was adding apple and I had actually been cutting some oak up for our fireplace so it could be all warm and snug with the fireplace. So I took some of those oak shavings and decided to throw those into the mix as well. Not a ton. Um, I know that's a real pungent wood with the oak but anyway i was like i'll just add a little bit i can't tell if it's apple because that's what i was throwing apple yeah, or yeah, oak yeah. but i can definitely taste a lot more smoke on on this one. round and i didn't i mean you don't get that ring necessarily that smoke ring that the competition guys are looking for but man slicing this thing up you you smelled the smoke when you when you bite into it you get the venison, you get the the rub. I used uh, the sweet and smoky, sweet and smoky from uh, from Reload, and 
yeah, it just this was a superior product to what I had done before. And it was a hit all the way around. In fact, I had one top round left, untouched. And then at the end of the party, as I'm cleaning up, there's half of it gone. Ah. So my brother-in-law came back in. Yeah. He, my brother-in-law took a good portion of it home with him, so I hope he enjoys that. Thief. Yeah, exactly. Chokes <sighs> on the end of it, I hope. Hear that? <laughs> Probably don't. <laughs> he, he, You're not listening. But anyway... <laughs> Did you uh, did you notice a little more smoke flavor on on the morsels that I've been serving you today? I noticed I noticed a little bit different flavor. Did you go a little bit less on the rub? I did go less on the rub. Yeah, I noticed more of the the meat flavor because I know and I liked it both ways. I remember getting punched in the face a little more with the last one. Well, that had the they had that pack pack and heat pack and heat. Yeah, that's a hot one. Yeah. <clears throat> So that was my prior experience. Was I went a couple of rounds with back and heat. So yeah, no, it's good stuff. Yeah, no, I went a little lighter and I let the venison do more of the talking. Yeah, and it is you. It doesn't taste like beef. No, it it is definitely venison. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's 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 the it's a more mild version of maybe what I would say is your standard steak venison flavor yeah i think some of that smoke and some of that other i don't know i guess a little bit of the rub just kind of milds it up a little bit as much as i want to say like reload makes a great product and putting the apple and the oak this you know that apparently that's a good mix yeah but what i learned from my recent talk with Hank is that as much as the ingredient you want that to be the star, it's on your technique. Yeah. It's how I smoked it. It's how long I smoked it. It's the execution of making sure that that temp is right at that spot you want it to be. That that's going to trump whatever cool seasoning you're going to put on yep. or secret sauce it will play a role in that but your technique is what is going to do it yeah and so i want to say this round i had a little bit more confidence to really embellish on the smoke i actually cured these for overnight in a salt sugar um i added salt and sugar to the outside of them sealed them in a vac bag, and let that pull the moisture out. So when I got them out, I rinsed all that stuff off, patted them dry, and I actually had a tackiness on that meat so that when it hit the hit the smoker, that thing's sucking in uh. that smoke already. So I just think my my technique, my execution was better. Was better. And that's not, I mean, you can taste the sweet and smoky on the outside. Yeah. It, and you can taste the smoke from the apple and the and the oak, so it's all. I think all around it, it plays off both each other. But yeah, hitting that technique was was I think the the big key that I took at least um, initially from his talk: technique versus ingredient, and then just hammered home. Well done. Can I get a a bush latte? Thank you, sir. So we colored, oh, 
Venison stock. Venison stock. If, well, we just mentioned, the ingredient necessarily isn't the, isn't going to break anything. So your beef stock wouldn't have been that far off. But do you think cooking your shank in venison stock would have changed your flavor profile? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's rampant speculation. <laughs> <laughs> but just the... The beefiness of what I what I experienced, I got to imagine that wasn't present. That it would have changed the profile. Gotcha. Well, with with old Spike, I was able to take the bones and I created venison bone broth. You did it. I did it. It worked out really well. Bring me through that process. <laughs> It's going to Bone, sound... Bones in the water. And yeah. Eat. <laughs> People want to make it, it sound like this huge, like, <laughs> secret. Like, it's stupid simple. <laughs> now, I did add a little more to it, just because that's what I do. Yeah. I got to take... Tinker. I got to tinker. I got to mess with it. Can't just... I can't just have stock. Stock. <laughs> <laughs> I got to have amped up. Stock. Uh, but yeah, cleaned out my bone or uh, took my bones that we'd cleaned off, and I purposely, as I was cleaning Spike, like didn't do a good job yeah. of getting all the meat off. Left some hangers. Left some hangers right around the knuckle ends. Oh yeah. Rather than you know being tight and then like taking that, then ultimately have that little morsel go right into grind. Grind. Beat the edge of your knife. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Well, we just keep that there and then add that to the goodness. Um, in fact, I buzzered your deer's bones as well. You got some of my bones? I got from your buck. <laughs> I didn't even realize. We have Reed City buck and we have Spike, Southern Michigan buck, going in the same pot. Look at that. So I, I took those bones. That's CW just waiting to happen. <laughs> no, it was clear. You here? got the clear signal. Yeah, you don't know. I, I made this after the clear. <laughs> Special note. <laughs> don't make stock until you got your CWD clear <laughs> notice. So I took bones and basically cut them. Took the, nut, or the, the saw, cut them in half and quarter, basically opening up the inside because you do yeah. want the marrow. You do want that fat on the inside to leach out, with addition to the outside that has the meat that's there. And you want to start to get everything melting or beginning to break down a little bit. So took all those bones, hit them with a little bit of oil, hit them with some salt, and a whole sheet went into the oven at around like 400, I think it was 400 or 425. Anyway, you're just browning the heck out of everything. So you're baking the bones. You're baking the bones. Is this an is this a special or is this a standard? This is standard? a pretty much standard, yeah, I would say. At least I've had two different chefs, one being Hank, the other being another guy on YouTube. But at the same time they're they're basically just saying you're caramelizing and gotcha. by caramelizing you get flavor. So, so it's endorsed by Hank. Endorsed by Hank. Okay, fine. I'm good with it. Goes in the oven, 
25, 30 minutes. Okay. So even to a point where you're like, ooh, that's done. And it's <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. You're going to boil this forever. Hot bones. So yeah, pulled them out, and they immediately went into a large stock pot. And I have that on my, my burner, and then I'm I'm dumping water to fill this thing up, and I'm covering all the bones. This left me enough time that I had already roughly chopped... Um, Carrots, celery, onion, and I think I had some. I had some whole garlic cloves no, that I yeah. ended up just smashing. Yeah. Um, your basic mirepoix, which is French for those three vegetables. <laughs> you get a lot of flavor out of those vegetables. Like a, a basic vegetable stock is just those three things that mm-hmm. are simmered down in water. So you do get ample amount of flavor, and that just adds to what you're making. So that's why I took the extra step rather than just going straight with the bones, adding the vegetables in there as well. And did the same thing. Hit them with all um, a bunch of oil, hit them with some salt, into the oven, just caramelizing everything. So when they, they did come out, there's brown edges all on the onions. The carrots are curling. At the same time, doesn't matter. <laughs> you leave the skins on the onions. Oh yeah. You leave the skin on the carrot. You're just rough. I usually use the the butt end of the celery that went in as well because you end up straining all that out. Gotcha. So all of it goes into this stock pot. I put the lid on it and I just walk away. I think it was three or four hours before I actually came back. I think I was working off of actually Hank's recipe. He's got. It was either on his website or in the Buck Buck Moose book. But there is a point where then your your stock can go bitter. Ah, that sucks. If you boil your bones too long, because now you're leaching that out of the bones themselves. Mm. As I'm like at four hours, I was like, oh. Time to go. Why don't I go taste this real quick? <laughs> Perfectly fine. Didn't overdo it. So nice. we were we were all safe. I'm sure that's if I were to like let it go overnight or something. But anyway, I put a good four hours just simmer on all this stuff. The meat is just shredding off. I mean, as I'm pulling the bone out, like those sections that I left on are just mm-hmm. falling in. Nice. The, the vegetables were pretty much just disintegrated at this point. And from that, you end up with like this slurry that you're like how do i turn this into something usable Mm because right now this looks like a mess (laughs) so i ran it through a fine uh screened colander and it still left a bunch of really floaties Mm. lack of better term yeah back to the book hank's got a another french word in there something for like Basically cheesecloth, like yeah, super what, fine cheesecloth. That's what I was thinking. Well, we have what's called the nutbag. Ah, <laughs> the nutbag makes another appearance. The nutbag. It is a super fine sack that <laughs> at one point my wife tried to make uh, almond milk. And through this series of like... Boiling almonds, you pour them in this bag and like squeeze them out. You squeeze your nuts in this sack. So, so the, the, it's bad. The, the nut bag <laughs> is a super fine sack. Yeah. Yes. I just wanted to clarify. 
that's that's, that's what exactly it is. it's actually used to you can squeeze nuts. Okay. You can squeeze the liquid out of nuts. There's a better way to do yeah, that, yeah, but yeah. we won't get into it. Okay. So I used that product and ran my stock through it. I actually took that and uh, basically tightened it around the bottom of the colander and ran it all through the nut sack. The colander. So all the stock <laughs> ran through the nut sack. Gotcha. Okay. And so it's a double stage. It double stage. And pulled out a lot of gunk, for lack of a better term. We're talking like Yeah, basically brown bits that were either left on the bottom, just scraped off the um little bit of the fat that was still that was in there and just the the bits that you don't want necessarily in your soup yeah that was able to take it out i don't have a link for the nut bag <laughs> i would not i would not just put in nut bag where do you buy a nut bag just go with a cheesecloth probably cheesecloth if you're, or if you're shopping yeah cloth used to make almond milk that would yeah. be a a good way to go However you find it, it is a very useful tool in the kitchen. Because now, sitting in my next stage pot was pretty much clarified liquid. But it it just had a ton of flavor to it. And it was that venison nice. stock. And starting out, I was at a couple gallons. And I knew that I need to reduce this down. Because it is pretty watery, mm. so I put it again back on the stove. And at this point, you're not boiling the bones anymore. You're basically cooking out the water. Gotcha. And let that go on a on a light boil. I didn't want to go a hard boil because I didn't want to walk away and then come back to a mess. Yeah. Unlike you that takes a shower while he's yeah, you know. Something. Well, yeah. Anyway, I didn't have as much invested into. That's very true. <laughs> into this operation. So I boiled that for like another hour as I'm doing stuff around the house, just checking in on it. And man, this stuff, like the longer I left it, the more rich it got. And I was able, even able to spoon some of the, the liquid, liquid fat that's on the top. You just mm-hmm. spoon that out of the way. And I mean, this stuff, you could straight up put some vegetables in it and have a dynamite there vegetable soup. Nice. Just like that, just with the stock. Um, I did add some salt to it just for a little bit more, um, just to bring that flavor out a little bit. But I also didn't want to add too much. If I'm going to make a soup, I'll add the salt yeah. then. But this way I have a pretty much straight stock for cooking a shank, for making a roast, for making a soup. It's it's all set, ready to go. And I... I prepackaged it into these three cup bags because when I'm looking at a recipe, a lot of times three cups is what they give or take on how much you need. Gotcha. Or if you are making a big pot of stuff, you just open up three bags, dump yeah. them all in. Um, it's reduced enough that I could definitely add some water to it and still keep the flavor. There's a, a point where you can take, you can boil that stuff down so far. And then you put it in like an ice cube tray, and you actually basically create jello. Oh yeah, with all the gelatin and how like condensed it is. I didn't want to go that far. Cubes, 
Yeah, yourself. I didn't want to go with a bullion <laughs> cube. I didn't want to get down to a bullion cube. Yeah. But at the same time, I wanted to have something that really had a rich flavor so that when I'm doing a shank, it's now a venison shank going in with venison stock. I'm not I'm not cheating myself at all. Yeah. And so you put these in what kind of bags? I, I did them in vac bags. Vac bags. Um, if you've got your normal vacuum sealer mm-hmm. at home, what I would do is like put a put a couple boards underneath it, either like two by fours to lift it up. Mm-hmm. That way, when you put your liquid in and then lay the edge down, the liquid actually sits below the unit, gotcha. yeah, creating a cup situation, so it's not going to spill all out. Did you? Uh, seal the bags prematurely, or did you get all air? Because there was a long debate over multiple meat eater episodes over this, so I was just curious how it went. Um, I'm gonna say that I cheated, <laughs> and I used the chamber sealer ah. at the farm, which in that case works the same as a regular vacuum seal mm-hmm. that I just hard. Vacked these things. There wasn't a point where I stopped. Yeah, the for, unit. It's freezer expansion. I think was the debate. I was having a hard time keeping. Gotcha. Uh, keeping up with the conversation, but um, sounds like you just. I gave a. There was a little because of the angle. I had to pull out um a couple of the basically the same thing where I had. The the liquid below the edge of the sealer, mm-hmm. there is a bit of space. When you do that, it na- like yeah, it automatically creates a a space. There. Yeah. So there's given play within the now it's vacked up. There's given play to the bag, so there's room for expansion. I'm not creating a water yeah. balloon. Yeah. That basically doesn't have flexibility. We're not at that point. There's there's movement that can happen in that bag. So there's your pro tip. Yeah. <laughs> Lift your at-home vacuum unit. Yeah. Put it. Make a little saddle. Yeah. Pick it up so that the bag sits below the actual sealer and then seal it that way. And that way it keeps all the liquid in, keeps you from dumping it all over your kitchen. And at the same time, gives you room for expansion. There you go. Stock talk. Stock talk. That was a long talk. <laughs> and just stock. Now we touched a little bit on Scott and Hank. And I've listened to that particular episode a couple times. What was your takeaways, Dustin? What did you think about that, those interviews? I think we uh, stepped up our game. Mostly uh, the guy that did the interviewing on those. It was nice, uh, it was nice listening to real experts in their, I guess, fields of butchery and wild game cooking. Um, just so so much can be gleaned out of those guys. They, they put forth so much, but in as far as, book, you know, YouTube videos and books and stuff, but just listening to them just for, you know, picking their brain for the things that we're looking at and concerned with from the, I guess the Midwest sportsman for an hour or so, just so much, um, so much that they could bring to the table for us. Good times. It really was. Um, 
with Scott, one of the big takeaways I had from him too was the only way you can screw this up is by not doing it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you mess up a cut, you can either make it into a steak or a giblet and cook it that way. Yeah. Or it goes into grind that you're already going to make something great out of. There's going to be no loss at this point. It's just whether you whether you have it the way that you were intending it to have to be cut, or it's just going to end up being yeah. something still usable. There's basically no downside. Just do it. Yeah, do right. it. Give it a shot. And yeah. if you screw up, there's always the next year that yeah. you get that you can try it out. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> um, I kind of had a. The liberty of really putting that to practice. Um, I'm up to seven deer that I've processed. That, that's a lot of deer. I feel I feel really proud about that aspect. That between um, just in our own hunting circle, that that many people have gotten a deer, and I've been able to then get my knives on it and practice, and at the same time give quality cuts to people that really can try something new with it. Um, changing the world. Changing the world one, one deer at a time. One deer at a time. No more giblets. I, there's a place for giblets. In, there is a place for giblets, just yeah. not whole yeah. shoulders not or whole a, legs turned into... Not pulling it out of the middle of the bottom round is probably not where you want to pull right. your giblet from. Right. While it's still on the deer. So it was it was enjoyable to talk to to Scott on that and with Hank too. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed like the first part of that interview, I was jumbling over my words. Yeah, I mean, it was a little noticeable. You went, you know, understandably. I was nervous. He's a big man. I mean, this... <laughs> I've now I've met him on two other occasions, mm-hmm. um, but this was my like first time to like sit down. Yeah, one on one, one on one, and have his full attention. Yeah. Um. The man is just an encyclopedia of, <laughs> that, of knowledge. That, that is true. He did not have any difficulty going on any of the questions. He knows his stuff. He definitely does. But it it's great because at that point, like I'm I'm absorbing every word from him at that moment. Um, and yeah, there's a couple things that stuck with me on that that interview, and that's. Not just the the technique versus ingredient, which I'll get back to in a minute, but the uh, when you're serving venison or you're serving wild game, small game, whatever it being something new to someone who's never had it, to cook it in a way that it, that resembles that animal. Like let's not doctor it up so much that you're hardly getting any any taste out of it yeah i think our example was like buffalo wild turkey mac and cheese yeah like that is it's so much buffalo mac and cheese in that that you the turkey barely registers that if you're gonna cook small game then give them you know fried fried squirrel and say there you go that is squirrel in a nutshell and they hopefully will understand and this might have to come on your front end too of explaining. I've put a lot of hours into getting this animal. I've put in a lot of time into 
field care of this animal now becoming meat, and I've put a lot of care into cooking this, that this is a trust fall, that I'm really asking you to trust me that this tastes good. And it's a big step for some people, and that how in this world there's families completely separated that wives or husbands or kids don't taste the hunter's quarry or catch because of either preconceived notions or whatever. And it was just kind of like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine yeah. that happening. I think one of the things I took away from the interview, and so obviously with Hank, he's a chef, very accomplished, has been doing this. Um, so he knows this stuff's going to be good. So he can do he can go off in any direction he wants and be able to bring a you know a kick-ass dish and not have to throw it in mac and cheese or whatever and and people are going to like it. He knows it cuz yeah. he's got that down. So uh get your stuff together if you're going to make those things um for somebody else. Uh you don't have to mask it, but if you're trying to bit, bridge some gaps Get it figured out. First. Get it figured out first. Cause he, that is he, a very good point. He was going through um, just fried squirrel, and he's talking about yeah, you, you know, braise it or par par uh, boil or whatever, and then you throw it in and, and you fry it. And I'm I'm going back to my first squirrel that I ever did, and I just battered it and fried it. And that sob was so freaking tough. <laughs> If I served that to anybody, they would never eat a squirrel ever again. And it was me and the dog. And the dog got his fair share. Fair share of squirrel. Because it was so tough. And he said that, and I was like, man, that would work way better. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. So, yeah, try it a couple times. Yeah. Get your get your shit together. Yeah, and then, then serve them something serve that it's cool, and not just bury it in the mac and cheese. I like that. I like that. Uh, but yeah, with the technique as well, I liked how um, he did touch on how technique trumps yeah, what you're putting absolutely. into it. That it is the the more that you do something, the more that you you, you have a dish that kind of becomes your your go to or your home run, and. I, I did allude to him on that one that like the reverse sear has been one of my home runs, I, my saving grace in a lot of that. You get a small piece of meat, you know, you get towards the the next side of that loin of your back strap, and it's hard to throw that onto a charcoal grill yeah. and have that come out the right consistency. It's going to be well done. Gonna be well done. Gonna be well done. I don't care who you are, it's going to be well <laughs> it's gonna done. It's going to be well done. And being able to put that in the oven, get it to your medium rare, and then hit it hard either back on the grill or in the pan is a home run idea. Which Reason, I've never done, but I'm going to be doing. I tell you, it is one of the best things you could do, especially on a smaller piece of prized meat. I'm thinking back of straps, strap, yeah. Tenderloin. These are all... Really good candidates for the reverse sear. You can take thick pieces of steak and throw it on the grill and they'll be fine. But anything smaller, 
you're going to want to use on the reverse sear. Reason I'm kind of hitting hard on this is our friends over at the Deer Hunter Podcast. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They had their hundredth episode this past uh, past week. I'll Congratulations, gentlemen. There you That's go. An awesome you go. achievement. But they were ragging on the reverse sear. That's bull crap. Bullshit, guys. Even though I've never even done it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pro reverse sear after listening to Hank. Gotcha. No missionary sear here. <laughs> Nothing straight on the grill when it gets that prize of a tenderloin or of a uh, narrow end of a backstrap. Do your homework, fellas. Yeah. Kevin. Try it. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> trying to think of a segue yeah and i can't make it work so nick <laughs> <laughs> you are the king buzzard i am the king buzzard what uh, are you referring to dustin i'm referring to the fact that you are in prime competition with every other uh, scavenger out there including uh the buzzards other Michiganders and uh, coyotes, eagles, and anything else that happens to see a deer smoked on the side of the road <laughs> and wants after some of that prime vehicular manslaughtered venison. I tell you, it's it's almost a gift <laughs> and a sickness and all at once and a curse. I uh, I do I I enjoy. Shoulder venison. Yeah. Not the shoulder yeah, of a deer, but actually shoulder of, of the, the road, road. venison. Yeah. It is, it, it's in a sense, free deer that it, you can take. It is. You just got to whip out the uh, phone, go on the website, get yourself a salvage tag, which is essentially a confirmation number, and away you go. Having you show me that it's on a mobile app. The light. It changed the game. (laughs) There's some immediacy there. There is. And not being my my first year, but now being that I have the mobile app at my disposal, there has to be an art and a science to your buzzardry. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me. Tell me more. (laughs) That... You're not just going to pick up any dead thing living along, or dead, not living, anything <laughs> dead alongside the road. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. You have no information on that animal. You're putting together the pieces at first contact. It's a hell of a gamble. It's a hell of a gamble. <laughs> so you do need to put in some safety marks around that. Yeah. If the animal is still alive, mm-hmm. bingo. That's the best way you can have That's it. That's what I'm looking for. In fact, one of my greatest stories happens around when I'm I'm called by another friend and said, Hey, I just watched somebody hit a deer. And I believe it's still alive. So, jackpot. Bingo, bingo. Let's go. <laughs> so, I drive there. And the the uh, the officer is already on the scene and speaking with the person. That's no doubt probably upset due to probably said. upset. <laughs> I I pull up and in line with the deer as to mark. Hey, it's over here. 
And it it is, it's now evening, so I put my headlamp on, and I'm walking from my vehicle to the cop and the person's car. And I get about halfway, and I kind of have to stop myself for a second. <laughs> I take a deep breath. I am crossing over into, like, the protagonist now in this story. <laughs> that there's going to be a sudden change of events that yeah. is going to happen. Because I'm sure this gentleman is already upset that his car has just got smacked up. He's got to take it to the shop. Yeah. And then as he's talking with an officer... Just wants to get through this. Just wants to be on his way. Out of the darkness comes this hillbilly. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Are you going to take that deer? <laughs> I didn't really care if you were okay, but I had to segue about the steers. I had to first get through the abnormalities <laughs> of social humans, but now I want after your deer. So that was a great, great a, a great life experience to have a gentleman look at you the way that that man looked at me, and at the same time be like, "Yeah, have it, sweet." I had to have the cop put it down because I didn't have my firearm or my bow with me at that moment. I was just I wanted to be first on the scene. I think he has to do it. He has to do it anyway. I think so. Gotcha. I don't really know. Anyway, I was having this discussion. I'm the shot happened. The deer became dead, yeah, and then I was able to acquire it and uh, get it back so I could cut it up. Fresh, right there. But having a good a good sense on timing of the animal yeah. when it passes is also a good idea. So if you find one that is dead, having some sort of marker to be able to say, I know when this went, animal went down. Yeah. I have a great setup for my way to work. Okay. And it's pretty much a back road that runs alongside of a, of a basically a two-lane highway. Mm-hmm. Um, M37 goes north and south, and then there's a small road that goes alongside it on the opposite side of the river. Well, in that, along that road, it's wooded, there's ag fields... And in fact, two rivers come together at one point where there's marsh and there's grassland. This is the prime set for deer, car, occasions. Yeah. Without a doubt, I see deer every day going to work or either coming home from work. Yeah. If it's not one way, it's the other. And from that, more often than not, there is a new addition to the shoulder. Instead of being distracted by texting on my phone, <laughs> I'm more or less distracted with my eyes scanning the ditches as I'm driving <laughs> along. So my hands are at 10 to 2, but my eyes also scan from 10 to 2. <laughs> and you, you do have your few that pop up that you're like, I don't know if that... Like, you come in on a Monday, you're like, I don't know if that was a, a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. He's just going to, he or she is going to be left right there. Yeah. And you put a mental note on that carcass because you're going to come back again. <laughs> oh, and get excited. Nope. Nope. Remember? <laughs> we don't know what that one is. But anyway, in my trip, I know the last time that I was through there. And so I can gauge whether that's a, 
uh, during the day hit or a middle of the night hit or yeah. even a morning hit. And so from that, actually having that same path back and forth, I've been able to pick up two, two. salvage tags. Uh, one a buck and one a doe. A little, a little button. He's been, I called him Sal for salvage. <laughs> and then the doe I called Sally ah. for Sally Vidge. Nice. But Sal had questions behind him. He would already begin to bloat. Mm. So I went gutless method. Okay. If I'm not sure, but yet the the back straps are still good on him. Yep. The hind quarter and the front shoulders are still good, and I was able to to glean that meat off, and then the rest I didn't even bother with. Yeah. You know, you got you got to cut your losses. This is yeah, it's free. It's, it's free. free. It's off the side of the road. You know? <laughs> yeah. You just did the county a favor. I did. Saves me. With the um, with the dough, I came up onto that, and I had some some clues that when I got there, I saw pieces of plastic and aluminum and mm-hmm. damage from the car. Yeah, still out and about. That's a great sign. I knew That's this was jackpot. very recent. <laughs> When I approached her, I even had eye shine from my lights. Mm. It wasn't dark, but it was just beginning to be, to be dusk. Prime time for car yeah. and deer interaction. And sure enough, I had eye shine still from her. So at one point I thought, she may still be alive. Mm-hmm. So I gave her the old boot tap a couple times. No response. We know she's dead. Pretty sure anyways. But from these boot taps, she hasn't even gone into rigor mortis yet. Her body hasn't even stiffened. So I know, like, oh my goodness, this is very recent. I have liquid blood. I have body heat that I can feel. Not, like, from the gut, but yeah. actual body heat. So those are all signs of, like, dang, this is this just happened. Freshy. So I felt confident opening it up. Pretty much getting a full deer's worth of meat out of this deer. Nice. Gutted it like I would everything normal. I kept the heart. I didn't keep anything else from the the fifth quarter, the the gut side of it. Yeah. But I had an intact heart, so I kept that. And I, I was able to then get the tenderloins out and a full process on the rest of the deer. So that was like a free deer yeah that was just handed on over so at this moment i've got three deer that i'm had to shove into my freezer (laughs) instead of full it's overfloweth we're into the other freezers even wow putting meat away so all in all 2018 has been very successful on the first goal attempt of filling Filling freezers yeah she's she's now full very full Nice. Now, another rule in buzzardry mm-hmm. is you don't turn down an opportunity. Yeah. You don't let it pass by. You find somebody to help you. Get it done quick. Get it done quick, whether it's, I couldn't pick up the button buck on my own. Mm-hmm. So I hired a carry man 
basically a hitman to come and pick up the deer for me. It's always nice to have a friend who works in opposite shift of you. Because, <laughs> <laughs> hey, wake up. <laughs> give me, go, give me get, go get a dead deer off the side of the road for me. <laughs> but he did it. And uh, I felt generous, so I went I went halvesies with him. So he, right. got, he got a full strap. He got a full hind leg. Um, he likes things staked out. So basically, I, I staked out everything for him. And he was happy yeah. as a clam, man. He got... Got free venison, all staked out for, for waking him. up. Yeah, just for waking up and going picking up a deer. Deal. So, I only got half of that that reward, but at the same time, he uh, he was like, "Oh yeah, if I find another one, I'll, I'll let you know." There you go. But yeah, you can't be just any deer, and you gotta be on top of it. Yeah, because you're going through a situation now where you could have had a salvage deer. Well, so there's more to the story. So, this past weekend, I um, failed in the woods, didn't see anything, and then uh, that was on Saturday I hunted. Sunday, uh, we were split-shifting church, so my son was sick, and so that's a no-go to nursery. They got rules, plus it's just bad for him. So... Uh, my wife went to the first service and I'm upstairs and I watch two deer walk down the neighborhood road, pretty much coming right at my house, taunting me, jump over the trusses of the house that's being built and, uh, run out of my life. I only tell that part of the story because this just the strangest season. Like, can't freaking find a deer. And then in my neighborhood, they're in walking the of suburbia. down the pavement. And this wasn't like, you know, crepuscule time. This was like 10 a.m. Just walking down the road. Click, clack, click, clack. What is happening? Where's where's your crossbow at this moment? Yeah, so I had that. And so immediately seeing the deer, I was like... I need I need to shoot these deer. So I'm going into like primal instinct mode, like thinking about weaponry and what I have to do and what should I be doing next and are they going to go into my yard and, and do they actually have to cross into my yard before I do this? And then I talk myself off the ledge realizing this is all a terrible idea in a neighborhood <laughs> in the city <laughs> and I should probably just videotape this. So I get out the phone and I get a couple of seconds of footage and thank goodness, because I live next to the sheriff, and so doing anything stupid is probably going to be a real quick uh, reprimand. A hind leg is a bribe. <laughs> may have gotten you out of it. Yeah, maybe. No, probably maybe. not. Probably not. Uh, so then I go to church, and about a half hour late due to our exchange, and I get the nice back seat, and I'm going to do the quick escape. At the end of the service, and I'm got my plan set together, and I get one step out of the door, and hey, Dustin, what? It's my neighbor. My neighbor's like, hey, you need a deer? It's like, yeah, I need a deer. He's like, well, I got four, so I'm like way over. So um, there's this deer, and we we go on this walk through the neighborhood, 
and we went the last two days it's been sitting there and it's you know tucked over and such and such and such and it's still lifting its head it's like i'm gonna it's got to be put down it's like you know 15 yards off the road or whatever tucked back in there oh you want it yeah yeah i want it so he's like okay um you're gonna be home in the next hour uh we'll figure it out so i'm like okay we'll figure it out so i go home i see him get by and then he goes over to a sheriff neighbor uh and the deal is he's gonna call it in they're gonna take care of it and they're gonna call me and i didn't have any urgency because one is still alive and two it's 15 yards off the road tucked in and it's been spotted by walkers so it's gonna be very unlikely that somebody driving by is gonna be aware gonna gonna be aware of this deer because he's kind of tucked into what is presumably his his final bet so i'm like okay this is gonna work out and then uh, a couple hours go by my neighbor texts me he's like hey you hear anything no I don't know what's going on. Let's go check it out. So, uh, we go for a drive, and he's like, I think it's back in here. And so we go, and we kind of go to the spot, and there's nothing there. So we don't have the full story, but our assumption is, is that the deer was not mortally wounded, and that when the dispatch was called in, that the deer uh, scurried off. So... Lost opportunity. So I was going from one deer that's still alive, so I don't have to worry about the whole, ah, how long has it been sitting there? Right. Super awesome. I was really excited about that. And um, to just the convenience of like my neighbor brokering the deal and everything. <laughs> I was like, how can I turn this down? <laughs> It seemed like such a good deal, and if it deal is too good to be true, it's too good to be true. So, no deer. Yeah. So there's still a lot of winter left. Yeah. And my route is, I mean, I'm going through 40 miles of two lane, 55 mile an hour uh, back road prime (laughs) buzzardry. I've never been to the point of desperation of where I felt like I needed to be a buzzard, but now that I'm there, there's some opportunity. It after your first couple, <laughs> you just get over it. <laughs> you just get over it. I'm picking up that doe, and it's it's even said I'm preset to have to lift a a big deer yeah. in the back of the truck. I've got one toe strap like. <laughs> The, the ratchet strap is what hooks to the innermost hook of the bed. Yeah. And then I have a pull strap at the outermost tailgate. Yeah. So that all I need to do is bring the animal to the tailgate. I loop twice around uh, the knees of the back end of the animal. Like, pull that animal up and tighten it as I go. So now I can then go to the front and then look yeah. the front end in. It's these little tricks that you just figure out. And, like, as people pass by, they do honk. Yeah. And you just you just got to smile 
and wave back, give a thumbs up. Like, I found first. Should have been here quicker. Yeah. I mean, in my case, I guess I'm just going to have to throw a tarp in the hatchback because likely, you know, it'll probably be a morning find. Yeah. And I'm just going to have to tow it into the city in the back of my hatchback. Put your... Let her put bake your gut for a little knife. While. Put your gut knife in the glove compartment. Yeah, well, where it I, should be. I do actually have <laughs> the uh, the Walmart special uh, custom serration is sitting there, ready to go. I tell you, you're you're set up and you're prime. Yeah, there's no. I can. There, there's I get no it dignity lost. <laughs> I can get it tested because I'm right near the lab. I mean, I guess it'll work out. Set to go. Yeah. So yeah, buzzardry. 101 <laughs> salvage tags or as you Safety put it the other level. day savage tags savage tags <laughs> such savagery whatever it takes huh uh, what are, I, I guess at this point i got i'm 90% confident that in some form or another i'm going to get meat actually before january 1st nice yeah i'm i'm putting out some desperate some desperate vibes within my network, so. Gotcha. <sighs> Might be charity, but somehow I'm going to get some meat. Well, you're getting a different type of opportunity, and it's coming up very fast. This is true. One I'm much more comfortable and successful at. Yes. In fact, I went past the lake just near my house, and it had that, like, it's definitely not thick, but it had no. this solid appearance. Yeah. Ice is beginning to form on our Michigan lakes. It's here. Ice fishing is upon us. Sort of. Sort of. The the skim is there. The weather is not. The weather's garbage. Weather's garbage. It's been up and down. 37 the other day. Garbage. Yeah. Can't have that. Yeah. January's coming. We're going to get kicked. It's going to happen. We're going to get kicked in the weather nuts. Inevitably, we're going to get kicked in the weather nuts, and we're going to get kicked in the weather nuts with 20 inches of snow and that's going to insulate the, the lakes and then it'll be a little bit but such as being close to the i guess wrong side of lake michigan for ice fishermen if you live in wisconsin oh yeah, life is good but we get smoked with the snow the mo- yeah but it will happen we just might have to be a little patient sounds good i'm i'm pretty novice to ice fishing yeah my first wild game was taken from a pike. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned that episode one through ice yep. fishing. Yeah, but I'm still novice at it. I've only gone socially. Nah, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. More beer has been consumed in my ice fishing trips. Yeah, I don't have time than, for that. <laughs> <laughs> than actual fish. I think Where I've, you, on the other hand, yeah, I think I've consumed half a beer in all my ice fishing. <laughs> dedicated <laughs> ice fisherman. Yeah. Dustin, I know there's a couple forms out there of ice ice fishing. Yeah. Tell me your setup. Ice gets hard. Yeah. What are you doing? I am... First thing I'm going to do is I'm going after panfish. I think panfish is the number one in the Midwest. Well, Midwest is really king for ice fishing anyways. Uh, but that's the number one thing. We're talking Most folks gills, crappies. Yep, bluegills, perch, crappie. Is um, perch consider, considered a panfish? Yep. It is? Yep. Okay. Little bastards. 
That's how you know they're panfish. <laughs> they taste good, and they're little panfish. Gotcha. Yeah. So I guess those would be bluegills, sunfish. Those are all the same. And then pressure crop here, big three. Your Michigan big three panfish. Um, so I'm probably going to be honing in after after some gills, some bluegills. And um, set up for that super light. So you're going with an really ultra light um it's a short rod so they're 18 so you you're dunking at this point with these short fishing rods you haven't gone to the tip-ups yet no no tip-ups would be your larger game so we're gonna stick with it's like an 18 to 24 inch it's basically you take your typical fishing rod that you think of for any fishing and you shrink it up and uh make it really small and that's kind of what it looks like so that's your your standard um, fishing rod, and there's a real small, tiny reel on it, uh, open face or spinning reel. It's the standard type of reel. There's different variations out there, um, but the spinning reel is kind of like the, I guess, the avid fisherman commonplace. There's, you can go old school grandpa, and there's plastic wheels that are literally, it looks like just a plastic disc. Yeah, um, you can get those probably at most places. There are, I mean, there's folks that that's all they want. I don't, they're probably the same guys that are shooting longbows. Uh, if that's what you know blows your skirt up, go for it. But for me, it's the the spinning reel is just more efficient. Um, and then that small eighteen to twenty four inch rod, and then. Um, if you want to go super sensitive, there's a thing called the spring bobber that you can add. It's an addition to your setup where you put it on the very tippy end of your pole and the line goes through that and it's just a thin piece of metal. Sometimes it's, um, I think titanium doesn't really matter what the, the material is. If it says spring bobber on it, um, those are kind of extra sensitivity things, um, so it just depends if you want the extra sensitivity or not. If you got a really thin rod, you don't really need it. Uh, my setups, most of them have it. Uh, most of them have that extra spring bobber um, just for that extra sensitivity. And then f- as far as fishing line goes, um, you're going really small. So you're going two-pound test, uh, monofilament. Um, if you really want to get into the um light game you can go down to one pound you're gonna have to search around for one pound if you want to go total geekoid you can go to your um fabric store or fabric section and find um really small diameter clear thread um and then just match up you match up what your one pound diameter line would be and then you'd find something in and around that diameter. I why, done that. why such the light tackle? So the fish are so lethargic and so freaking picky um, that you're trying to coax them into biting uh, your offering. So that's that's really it. The the fish They're not they're not gonna fight that hard, but at the same time 
they're going to be extra choosy yeah. on what you're presenting. And that's and so that's most days ice fishing. Some days ice fishing doesn't really matter. And on the doesn't really matter days, um, heavier line and then jigs. So you, um, I guess standard affair would be tungsten jigs, and it's like a I think two point five milliliter three mil or two point five mil millimeter three millimeter three point five millimeter would be like gigantic. Um, so those are kind of like your size ranges, and then tungsten jigs are you can get a smaller profile. Um, Per weight, because tungsten's heavier than, let's say, lead. Lead would be the standard alternative. Um, tungsten's really taken the ice fishing world. Uh, I think in most fields, both with, I mean, waterfowlers, yeah. fishermen, yeah. Lead's, lead's on its way out. Yeah, I mean, tungsten's more expensive, but it's just, it's heavier per uh, whatever yeah. size. So you can get that smaller profile, and it can still get it, it sink rate is good because it's all about i mean the fish are going to be in the bottom of the water column in most cases if they're aggressive they won't be so in a lot of cases it's about getting to the bottom so that's smaller and and then you want to be smaller profile because they're picky so it's getting to the bottom fast smaller profile and that's where tungsten comes to be an advantage and so i guess wolfram um is a manufacturer that really kind of has the biggest section of the tungsten market i don't know if they're first in there but those are usually the ones that i run with um so that's kind of the the setup as far as just the the line the rod the reel and the jig and then as far as bait goes you're looking at spikes they're just larvas um spikes red spikes white spikes possibly a waxworm waxworm's gonna be a larger larva um and that's that's the the main setup for for the bluegill. Gotcha. And that's been your that's your bread and butter right there. Yep. Yep. That's go go out in the backyard on the pond, throw that down there, have a heck of a bunch of fun. Gotcha. In the world of tip ups. Yep. I look at a tip up in my novice view, and I just I'm like, there's so much work being done, not by me. <laughs> like it's it's just a passive piece of equipment that's working. Yeah. And that that excites me that I could that I could essentially be in like six different places at once. Or is there is there a limit to how many holes you can have operating at once? You're going to have three lines in the state of Michigan. Three lines dedicated to you. So, however you want to slice that up, if you want to be running one bluegill rod jiggy jiggy, you're on two tip-ups and that's your three lines. If you want to run three tip-ups, that's fine. Uh, you get a gaggle of friends together, and you can really litter, litter the ice with tip-ups. That's my experience, is <laughs> I've really been there for three lines. That's yeah. <laughs> I don't think I did a whole lot of actual yeah. help, but I was there to be yeah. like, that, those three are mine yeah, over Yeah, you got a valid fishing license? Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how it was. Yeah. So you, so you can break that that up, and you mentioned tip ups are more for our larger, larger fish, yep. mainly predatory. What are we looking at? Pike and walleye is going to be the big ones in this area. Um, I mean, that's going to be predominant. Is do we have a lot of inland walleye here in southern Michigan? Yeah, I mean, 
I would say a lot is relative. They're difficult. They're difficult to get. I mean, some of the lakes have them. Some of them don't. Uh, more on larger lakes. So you got to have the right spawning conditions for walleye. Gotcha. Um, deep so. enough water. They, they tend to like deeper water. Uh, I think you need rocks and moving water. Um, I don't know. They're weird critters. I know in, in one of the larger lakes around here is Gun Lake, and most of that lake's shallow. There's walleye in there. They also stock them. So okay. um, I guess it depends if there's a good stocking program or not. Um, you know, lake's going to have to be either there's going to have to be people behind it or there's going to have to be some sort of support for stocking. Um, so it depends. I mean... So we're looking at specific pike, area. Pike is going to be pike's our... Pike's usually, in this part of the country, what folks are kind of getting after with the tip-ups. Um, yeah, it's it's pike territory. So what are you throwing down as a bait? You're throwing... So you can go... Yeah, so you can go... Um, you can go with like a, a, a shiner. You can go with a sucker. So those are two kinds of minnows that you can go with live bait. Um, or you can go with um, a smelt. And so a smelt would be frozen. Well, dead bait. And you can go... Um, you can go real crazy and you can dye your smelt if you want. So if you want to get a little different color going, you can get the food dye that you would use for whatever your food dyeing, green or red, throw that in a vac bag, and um, with a bunch of smelt and vac bag that in together, and you can have yourself, <laughs> you can have yourself a crayola of smelt um, if you really want to go nuts. Um, now, in the the sense of that is you're both using like the funk of that fish along yeah. with the color variation. Yeah, so the smelt puts off a lot of oil. Uh, the color variation, I don't know. Um, I've done it. I think it works, <laughs> but <laughs> by scientific rigor, I didn't have very good control. I uh, I understand there's a crap ton of biases in my approach so <laughs> i'm not gonna go on the record and say oh yeah it works or whatever uh but it's really not difficult it's fun to do so why not why not try it out that's the thing with fishing if it's not working you want to try something different so just to have something yeah. else yeah in I mean, here. it keeps your sanity so why not Got so you. so that's the bait um i haven't done a lot of smelt stuff lately um, I don't know why. Um, but the the tip ups are really simple. So you go. I mean, you just get thirty pound tip up line and um, or twenty pound tip up line, whatever. It's it's marked <laughs> on the package. It doesn't take anything um, super specific, at least from my uh, perspective. You could use braided line if you wanted to. Um, the tip up line is probably going to be the way to go. Just go with that stuff because the braided line, when you're, because you fight the fish with your hand. I mean, you're hand over hand pulling the line and physically with your hand. Mm-hmm. And the the braided line that you would use on your regular pole is going to be thinner diameter, so it's just going to be hell on your hands. Yeah. Um, the tip-up line's a little thicker. So 
your dissection of tip-up line, um, I don't know, 100 feet's plenty. And then um, if you, I mean, you can go straight to the hook. And then if you're getting into the whole it's picky thing again, you can you could tie on a monofilament leader, which is clear. Um, you're gonna risk you're gonna risk bite offs. Yeah. So some folks are so paranoid about bite offs that they'll use a steel leader. Um, I think you're just gonna sit there and stare at your flag not coming up for a long time with steel leaders. Um, so so in my opinion, it's between either going straight to the hook with a with the tip-up line, which um, probably is going to eliminate some of the bites, um, but it's going to be, you're going to have less shear. Otherwise, you can go with a fluorocarbon or monofilament uh, leader on there, and it's really just a treble hook, big freaking sinker, <laughs> tie it on. I mean, it's caveman stuff. Yeah. You Put it down there. I think that's why I'm so intrigued by tip-ups because it's like so easy a caveman can do it. You set the flag. Um, If you're getting in shallow water, I guess a pro tip would be cover your hole hole covers. So some of the tip-ups are built with hole covers. Um, That's just to cover sunlight shine coming down through. Absolutely. That's going to spook the fish. Yep, potentially could. So, um, I mean, you just got to be really shallow and clear for that. Otherwise, a paper plate. Cut a slit in it, throw that in there. But you're talking, I mean, if you're after fish in six feet of water or less. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the whole cover is also nice for snow. Um, so that's fine. Um, if you, I mean, if you got blowing wind, that whole cover's nice. If it's super cold, the thing's going to ice up anyways, and you're just going to end up having a kick the hole out and gotcha a whole bunch of fun so speaking of that how how are you going through the ice are you using you know you see on these videos and stuff these guys using these on super thick ice it's basically like a lawnmower or a weed whip engine on top of a big auger yeah and then i see at the pro shops i see just these hand augers yep you could go old man style and just go Ice spud. What what are you doing? All of the above. All of the above. Yeah. You, Although you, my gas auger's down, so not all of the ooh above. Boy. But uh so when it's really thin, I mean you're talking like two inches of ice, which Hold up. Before we get into punching holes into two inches of ice. <laughs> yeah. What is what is considered safe ice? Anything that'll hold your ass up. <laughs> Dustin, for, for me and you, we're talking two different nights. You can go fishing on days that I can't. Well, there you go. That's why it's relative. I'm not going to give anybody... I'm shorter than you, and I'm heavier than you. This is a bad deal. I'm not giving a thickness. <laughs> uh, if you want to be super safe and you're like squirrely, four inches. Um, four inches is crazy safe. That was my dad's uh, thickness level. Gotcha. I've, it, I've, I've gone thinner uh, than that as I ventured out into adulthood and started. <laughs> I was just going to ask: are, are you going to disclose how thin of ice you've been on? Uh, I've been on an inch and a half. Inch and a half. Inch ice. and a half. Black ice. So there's black ice and there's milky ice. Okay. So black ice is basically just clear solid. Ice. Yeah, it's, it's like a clear plate ice. of glass. Yeah. So that's strong stuff. 
And so, uh, internet's probably pretty stupid, but so. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted you to say it, though, yeah. you realized. Yeah, it, that was shallow. So the area that I was fishing, were, yeah, okay. it was three feet of water. So right. if I went through, it was a wet day, not you a dead day. You were going to be pissed cold, not yeah, dead cold. Not dead. Yeah. So no big deal. Uh, well, yeah. Not much of a big deal. No. So, yeah, I mean, so the spot in the early season, so you use that to check your, because the thickness may not be uniform. So, spot, spot is basically just a long metal rod with a chisel end on the end of it. So, if you can go through in one whack, turn around. Now, if you're playing the system a little bit, you just don't swing so hard. <laughs> You just tap the ice. Oh, yeah. it held the spot. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a little game in the system there. But that's kind of how you stay safe is the is the one whack. And so when it is thin like that, the spud, I mean, it's not difficult. You spud your hole. Anything under six inches of ice, hand auger, I mean, is good to go. And there's there's two main brands out there, I guess. I guess there's the Laser uh, I don't know if that's their model or their brand, um, but that's the more budget friendly. And then there's a Nils, N I L S, and they I don't know, I don't think they're USA, but anyways, the the Nils is the uh, Cadillac model, the hand auger. It's a totally different design and takes a lot less effort, um, like a quarter of the effort. Uh, doesn't take a lot of pressure, so. If you have a Nils hand auger, you could probably get through some thicker ice. You might maybe go eight or ten inches without too much uh, fatigue. Um, but usually, I say six inches. And I have, I have the the, the cheaper the the laser model. Um, then after that, you could go you go gas or electric. Um, so the electric or well, I guess they have they have dedicated electric models, but they have conversions to like a electric drill. Those are pretty sweet. So if you happen to have a decent electric, you know, eighteen or twenty-four volt lithium-ion drill that you're using for your construction or whatever, you can get an adapter. Um, so you can get in the game nice. of drilling lots of holes for fairly inexpensive. You can get that same nails, which would be the way I would recommend to go. Um, cause you can do an adapter to the laser. And what I've found with that is that you need gorilla wrists because there's so much torque Yeah, that it, it's, it's uncomfortable. I got a old Milwaukee. Yeah. Drill. Yep. That if I had a hundred, I'd need a lot of extension cord. Oh yeah. But <laughs> those guys, I bring that sucker out. We'd be through that ice with that through. attachment right now. Yeah. You give me the laser tough bite. <laughs> I got uh, a cordless Milwaukee from my father-in-law uh, just a couple weeks ago. So I might be looking to go down that road since my gas auger is in a couple of pieces and has been so for two seasons now. Ooh. Yeah. Last season was not good for ice. Yeah, and I've been a little spoiled. I'm not going to lie. Living on the, the pond... And not venturing out too far, um, just until it gets fished out. 
I don't have to move around a lot. So if you don't have to move around a lot, even if you're in 12 inches of ice or whatever, you deal with it. Yeah. Um, but that's not the standard. The standard, if you're on most public waters, uh, if you want to keep catching fish, unless it's an amazing day, you're cutting a lot of holes. Gotcha. 50, 100 holes. Um, Lots of moving. I, yeah. I mean, I'm probably above average on hole cutting. I know I'm above average on hole, <laughs> hole cutting. Uh, but I like to catch fish, and I do catch fish. So um, that's where it becomes an advantage. Nice. Ar- auger talk. That was a lot of auger talk. That was a lot of auger talk. I'm excited because, again, I did a lot more beer drinking than I did ice fishing. Yeah. And this is going to be... And we didn't get into electronics. No. Oof. You want to talk electronics? They're really simple. You, you just stick your stick your wand down there and yeah, it'll tell you if there's <laughs> fish or not. Yeah, so they're flashers. So there's flashers, and so that's really the only thing that realized fishermen use. Explain the flasher. flasher. So as far as brands go, there's Markham and there's Vexlar. I have a Vexlar because that seems to be superior. Yeah, I think they're out of Minnesota. Uh, All love for Minnesota. I don't know where Mark comes out of. They're probably both out of the same state. But anyways, uh, they're both great. They're, I mean, they're Pepsi and Coke. Um, good, good flashers. But a flasher is essentially a sonar that sends a signal down and um, gives you real-time information of where the bottom is and where the fish are. So you have to interpret that, and it's basically... Uh, colored lines so it's like pong essentially but in the fish finding world i mean you're looking at i don't know that's below eight bit but it's it's not the high resolution down scan stuff that you would see in summer bass fishing or what the salmon charter boats are doing um but it gives you information of what's there and it's immediate so once you learn how to read it you can see where your jig is where a fish is, where the bottom is, and you know exactly what's happening, and it changes the game. Because I've seen, I've seen your your backslider, and I've seen it at work. Yeah, I, it's all gibberish to me. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it just takes lines a, moving. <laughs> it takes if you actually have a pole in your hand and the jig, and you've run a video video game machine before. It's about 10 minutes. You haven't figured out. Gotcha. But if you're just looking as a, as a spectator, you're like, I don't know, this is stupid. I don't care. I did. I walk over. They're like, Where's Nick, my wh- beer? what does it say? <laughs> it says red, yellow, and green. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you want? Pretty much. Well, good. I'm I'm excited to, I'm, I'm assuming I'm just going to jump in on your fishing ventures. Yeah. You're going to have to get out there and and teach me how what's going on. Yeah, we'll go to the pond. It'll be a good time. It's a close pond. We got some bass to cull, which normally you can't do. But is that a is that a species that a lot of people get as bass in the winter? No, time? it's close season. But since I have this non-normal, basically aquarium that I'm living on, that basically apply. a backwater. Yeah, and it it's overpopulated with bass, so. Talked with some of the biologists and fish biologists, and yeah, they agree. They agree. <laughs> they said, "Yeah, get rid." Yeah, get rid. Gotcha, Dustin. We're we're approaching two hours. Oh my gosh! 
Auger talk and salvage talk. I tell you, it's been a good, it's been a good talk. Um, it's be a rough morning tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow's gonna be a rough day. Can't wait to get up at five twenty. <laughs> it's coming up fast. Oh my gosh! Well, hey, big takeaways of the night. Um, yeah, deer season's closed for me. Yeah, I might pull a Brett Favre and come back out for one more hurrah, but I think I'm done. I've been getting after cooking venison. Uh, you did shank on your own. Yeah. It's a wonderful adventure. Yeah. Um, we had two previous interviews. We had Scott Ree and Hank Shaw. Incredible gentlemen. Yeah. Masters of their craft. And uh, ice fishing right around the corner. It's coming. It's coming. Well, folks... Christmas will have already passed, so let's just say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. And uh, this is Hunterboard. I'm signing off. Keep your knives sharp. Keep your knives sharp.